hello and welcome to the second installment of the Voices of Amnesty podcast. I am Ariana. I'm AB. I'm Matthew. Let's talk about the issues surrounding the LGBTQIA community. A warning to all viewers, the following podcast contains disturbing themes such as abuse, conversion therapy, domestic violence, sexual violence and suicide. If you want to avoid this content, check out our previous podcast on the Israeli-Palestine conflict and watch for our next topic of conversation. We hope the information brought to you today lets you think outside the box and assists you in understanding a new perspective. So last time we had a look internationally at the Israeli-Palestine conflict and kind of how that was impacting the people who lived in Israel and Palestine and also like the rest of the world and politically how that was impacting different countries. Um, and today we're going to go a little bit more local to the LGBTQI plus community in Australia. And we're going to be taking like a past, present, future approach to this, looking at how the laws um, affecting LGBTQI people in Australia have changed ever since British colonization and also what they are right now. And there are certain issues and aspects of it that still need to change improve the lives of people who are a part of this community um, and then we're also going to be having a look at how you can be an ally to people and um, if you are part of the community where you can go to seek help um, and the resources necessary for that. Um, so Ariana when it comes to the history of LGBTQI plus laws um, how have they changed since hundreds of years ago? Yeah so they've changed quite a bit, actually, and it's been a pretty progressive change, but it took um, a drastic turn for the better in around the 1960s. So compared to most other countries, our LGBTQI laws like today are a lot better. They're definitely not perfect and there is a long way to go. And we'll get onto that a bit later in the podcast, but they are actually pretty good. So we'll start at the beginning. Um, beginning meaning when Australia was con- colonized by the British, because that's when we have the most data. Um, So at that time, they inherited the anti-homosexuality laws, such as the Buggery Act, that were in place in Great Britain at the time. Um, And this was defined, the Buggery Act was defined as an unnatural sexual act against, which was essentially sex, sexual activity. Um, And this was considered a capital Yeah, so when Australia was colonised by the British, we inherited the anti-homosexuality law, such as the Buggery Act from Great Britain, and that was a law that existed there at that time. Um, So it was basically same-sex sexual intercourse was pretty much prohibited, and um, you would be executed if you were convicted of this crime. Um, And that existed in Australia until about 1890. There wasn't very much focus on lesbians and their relationships because the societal belief that women just didn't have sexual desires was kind of a thing, which meant that no one expected that to occur. Um, And so these laws were kept in place in 1901 when the states came together in in the Federation. And over time, the sentence for this buggery act um, began to reduce in different states from um, obviously being killed to life in prison, which is an improvement, albeit not a very good one. So in the 1960s, that's when times started to um, really like shift to the better for members of the LGBTQI community. So um, that was brought forward by community debate about decriminalizing these activities. Um, And there are a couple of groups that played a major role in actually facilitating this. So the first one was um, 
Daughters of Bilitis, they were the Australian arm of the American group of the same name, and they kind of brought the American kind of revolution on this to Australia. Um, so they were credited with being Australia's first gay rights group, but they renamed themselves to the Australian lesbian movement a little bit later in their kind of history. Um, and they were a close support group for lesbians in Melbourne, and that's kind of where they started. Um, another major one was the campaign against moral persecution, which was shortened to camp, um, and it was an LGBT activism group focused on removing the stigma attached to homosexuality by society. So their kind of goal was to educate people so that um, so they were knowledgeable about the current thinking on homosexuality and they were able to respond publicly, putting forward an informed viewpoint on what was actually going on to people who didn't necessarily know about things in the hopes that they could get them to ally with them because they were now educated. Um, so it was founded by John Ware and Christabel Pohl and they gained a lot of attention and more following than they'd expected because a lot of people, I guess, finally got the chance to identify with this group. Um, they were officially established in 1971 at the first public gathering of gay women and men in Australia, um, and it was at a church hall in Balmain in Sydney. And then after that, other branches of the organisation were established in other cities, such as Brisbane and Melbourne. Um, so this demonstration, about 70 people just came outside Sydney headquarters um, in support of the pre-selection of Tim Hughes, as opposed to the homophobe, homophobe Jim Cameron um, for... Yeah. Uh, so then the laws regarding, yeah. So in terms of laws, they started to change over the 22 years, roughly between 1975 and 1997. Um, and this is where the states kind of, at different points in these 22 years, they revoked their sodomy laws. So um, Australia kind of works in the way that states have the final say on laws and therefore some things you can do in states that you can't in others and that's why they gradually changed over those years. So currently, it, this is really good, the age of consent in all of the states and territories in Australia is equal regardless of gender, the gender and sexual orientation of participants. Um, it is currently 16, except for Tasmania and South Australia where it's 17. But the good news is that it is equal and... Um, this has happened over the past two decades by respective states and territories. Another major victory for the LGBTQI community was same-sex marriage. So a little bit of history to how it actually happened. In 2004, Prime Minister John Howard and his government recognized marriage as between a man and a woman. So they kind of narrowed the definition. After many failed attempts at holding a plebiscite, um, plebiscite this is a good 10 years later, the Temple government held a voluntary postal survey. Um, I remember this, I think a lot of other people do as well, asking citizens if same-sex couples should be allowed to marry. So this was in late 2017 and the country voted in favor 61.6% and it passed the Senate and House of Representatives shortly after. The first couples got married on the 9th of January in 2018, which was also really great. So since 2018, same-sex couples can adopt children and all state at sorry, in all states and territories in Australia. In terms of sex and gender recognition, so this actually works a lot better at the federal level. So if someone identifies as a gender that's not on their federal document, federal documents meaning like passports and Medicare forms, they can send a letter to have it amended and it gets amended, which is actually pretty easy. Um, but states, they have slightly more limiting laws. They have People, um, so according to those laws, people have to undergo sex reassignment surgery before the actual, um, it can be changed on the certificate. 
And LGBTQI activists are not very happy about this, as they should be. They criticize this, this decision, saying that the requirements are irrelevant to the recognition of a person's sex or gender identity, but should only rely on their self-identification, not what gender they physically are. So that's a pretty brief history into some of the rights and the progression of the laws that affect LGBTQI members. And it's looking pretty good actually for them. However, there are a couple of things that we think are still a major issue and need to change. So Matthew, uh, relating to verbal and physical abuse against LGBTQI plus people, um, in recent years, what are some examples of the way that this has been prevalent in the community? So historically, um, LGBTQIA plus people have been verbally and physically abused for being themselves. Um, they're subject to violent hate crimes, such as the Orlando nightclub shooting in 2016. Uh, and there are a lot of horrific statistics surrounding their treatment, um, starting with verbal abuse, 60% uh, of LGBTQIA plus people experience homophobic or other verbal abuse directly. 20% uh, uh, experience, 20% experience distinctly physical abuse, which is just horrible. And uh, rates of abuse are much higher amongst transgender members of the community, uh, in which sometimes it is over double the whole, double the rate. Uh, members of the community are three times more likely to become depressed, two times more likely to experience anxiety, five times more likely to attempt suicide. Their suicide attempts are four to six times more likely to require medical treatment. So like these are more severe cases. 10% of members in the community have had to quit their jobs due to, due to discrimination in the workplace. And 50% of uh, people have attempted to hide their sexual orientation or identity in the workplace. So to this day, we are still seeing, you know, horrible, horrible treatment of people for being who they are. And, and this is clearly having a, a serious effect on them mentally uh, and it has to stop. So. Okay. And um, how do you propose that in the future, do you think these statistics will go down? Like, do you think there's much movement uh, to make progression in the treatment of LGBTQ plus I people today? Well, um, I certainly hope they go down if we continue to try and fight the status quo. And if we continue to try and, you know, raise awareness around this issue, because so many people will just assume that, you know, people aren't experiencing this anymore because we're, our society continues to progress, but these issues still remain and we still have to keep on finding this, especially in certain types of communities. Like in rural communities, the statistics are a lot higher and you know people are just less aware of it. And the more we talk about this and have a discussion, the more we can do to hopefully lower this rate. Okay, Matthew. So for people who don't know, can you tell us what conversion therapy is and how it's detrimental um, and how it targets LGBTQI plus people um, and how it's detrimental to them? Yeah, so one of the ways um, LGBTQIA plus people are mentally abused is conversion therapy. Uh, in recent years, more and more stories relating to sexuality slash identity conversion therapy have come to light. Um, conversion therapy is the practice targeting LGBTQIA plus people in an attempt to convert them 
to heterosexual or cisgender. It's predominantly used to influence minors, which can be particularly destructive in such an influential time in their life. Uh, station, states and territories, uh, including Queensland, Victoria, and the ACT have all criminalized conversion therapy, yet uh, in places like New South Wales, no action has really been made yet. Uh, New South Wales politicians have promised something, but we have not seen any action so far, and we really need to pressure them to make the change. Um, additionally, a national ban on conversion therapy would be very nice, to say the least, and it's very necessary to take action against the practice. So uh, conversion therapy easily can contribute to the haunting statistics that we see because you know we the practice revolves around someone trying to convince someone that they're not something, which can be so degrading and just so detrimental to someone. And it's just, it's really awful to see that this practice can still be legal in New South Wales, that we still see stuff like this happening. And it's very awful. Okay. And, um, and how do people actually, how does the process of conversion therapy actually happen? How do people get into that situation where they're forced into conversion therapy? Well, uh, minors can be forced in a, minors can be forced into conversion therapy when their parents, uh, you know, their parents aren't, accepting of their child that 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 that's certainly a way uh that can happen and certainly people who you know are really struggling with their identity may feel like they need to go to someone like this and and they just simply don't know how how dangerous it is and this can be particularly true in rural communities in which we don't see a lot of awareness around these issues, as I mentioned earlier. And this isn't just an issue in Australia, like in countries that haven't progressed as much and the society is still quite stuck to the ways that we used to see, practices like this are way more prominent and way too dangerous to keep on happening. Yeah, and that's, you know, really shows how torturous it actually is to people of uh, LGBTQI plus backgrounds. Um, so leading into that, um, domestic violence is obviously a massive issue within the community. Um, and how is this? How does this occur within it? Can you give us some context around that? Uh, yes. Yeah, so domestic violence is obviously a version of the physical abuse uh, seen with LGBTQIA plus people. Um, so when it comes to domestic violence. Uh, this is problematic with LGBTQIA plus people because we see that uh, violence rates are equal and even in some cases higher than heterosexual uh, relationships. Uh, this may be due to the treatment of LGBTQ people from childhood. You know, they may feel insecure and this may lead into violent relationships. And a factor into these domestic violence rates surrounding homosexual relationships is the fact that people aren't accepting around them. And this could occur within relationships like romantic relationships, or it can occur within family relationships, sometimes especially family relationships. When a kid could come out, their parents may not accept them for that. And this can lead directly into physical violence which is something that we see not just in Australia, but throughout the whole world. 
some sometimes uh, it's way more prominent in uh, third world countries and less developed countries. So we also see domestic violence in LGBTQIA plus relationships all over the world, uh, particularly perhaps in third world countries and less developed countries. And within these countries, members of the LGBTQIA plus community uh, can also be denied assistance and services. So the situation could be even worse than that. So relating to LGBTQI plus rights, I've learned a lot today about the history of it and even what issues surround the community today. Um, but I think there are many things that we can do to actually help the community and to be an ally to them. So, for example, even if it's putting your pronouns in your bio uh, for social media and being very conscious of the language that you use when uh, discussing the community, um, so using respectful language and respecting people's pronouns and what they feel comfortable with. And another way that you can help is uh, being very conscious of your school friends and family members who might be part of the community to be very open in dialogue with them about certain issues that they might have so that they always feel supported um, and never feel put down. And this is the way that we can uplift, the, uh, uplift people and make them feel more secure um, in their sexuality and, um, their, you know, and yeah, in their sexuality. Um, and even on a larger scale, supporting uh, people on a federal level by going to rallies and events, uh, which support people uh, who are in the community to bring larger awareness to the issues that they face and to even stop the further discrimination that is prevalent today. Um, and so to bring, where, uh, bring that to awareness today, uh, which is important to have, really. Uh, so additionally, uh, you can also donate and support certain charities and organisations such as Minus 18, uh, which supports LGBTQIA plus youth. Uh, they have Wear It Purple Day on uh, Friday, the 27th of August, which is all about standing up against bullying uh, against LGBTQIA plus people. Uh, you can also check out their Instagram. And there are so many other charities that you can support, that you can follow to gain important information and to help fight the battle against homophobia and transphobia. Yeah, and I think it's also a really good idea that if you see someone or hear someone making a homophobic or a transphobic comment to call them out on it um, and to try and get them to understand that this is not okay and that people are getting hurt because of it. Um, I also think it's a pretty cool idea to start reading and kind of consuming media that is um, written or published by LGBTQI plus members or members of the community so they know that they're receiving your support. Thank you for listening today and we hope you learned some very important information. Make sure to tune in next time and follow our Instagram uh, for more information on our movement.